Welcome to Authors in Chains, by writers, for writers. Hosted by J.R. Ryu, Ray Burton, Robert Davies, and Ray Bailey. Thanks for joining us on Authors in Chains. Today we'll be talking about filling out your story, how to make that good scene great using some of the techniques we use to fill out characters and details in the environment, how to attach emotional attributes to inanimate objects and things that happen to make that story that much better and bring the reader in. So let's get started. We're going to talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, bringing your book to the next level, kind of. Most people, when they write, have a certain idea of the way the book is, whether it's a first draft or a third draft, but... Um, the difference between a good book is in a great book is in the details is in a lot of not only how you tell the story, but how you describe its surroundings, um, how you attach emotional weight to things that happen in certain scenes. So this is about coloring your book in most books kind of give that broad black and white feel when you're first writing it. But as you narrow it down and look at scene by scene and start you know, bringing out the life in not only the characters, but also in the environment, you start bringing that story to life or bringing that story, bring color to that story. And this is kind of what we're going to talk about and how to kind of, how, how, to, how to approach that and see if, you no, know, you can't only make your book good, but also great. Something people not only can read, but they can understand the environment, the, the emotional attachment to that scene and the emotional weight on the characters. Um, now that we've got that, anybody like to start? No one's the first to jump in. <laughs> this sounds like serious author stuff. Well, I know. And, and uh, this is, that makes me not qualified. <laughs> oh, we're all qualified. Oh, right. right. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of kick it off and see if I can't spurn a little bit of that. Um, when I tend to write my books, my first draft is always me telling the story to myself. It's a lot of he said, she said. Now, there's still... Things that go on, there's still character thought processes, whether I'm first person or third person, first person or third person, uh, single single narrative or multi-narrative. Um, I tend to kind of try to bring in the characters' hang-ups and issues during that first run. But when I go back through to that second one, I don't look at the book as a whole necessarily. I look at that scene. You know, if I have two characters talking to each other and they're in a room... I try to bring that room alive to life. I try to, you know, add color and warmth to the floor or the walls. Um, I try to describe the lighting, the smell, even before you get to what the characters are talking about. You know, maybe one of them is nervous, so he shifts uncomfortably and the chair squeaks three or four times during the conversation. And that becomes kind of the, the running motif to it. But looking at that one scene I focus on it to bring that scene not only as characters, but also the scene as a whole to life. Um, I just edited in my, this is, this is part of my WIP that kind of goes where I was trying to go earlier and described it so poorly that it confused disease boy. And oh, I know, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Quarantine boy. Quarantine boy. I, uh, so here's as an example, cause as I think about this, it, it goes to where, and, and by the way, what I was talking about in that email, as I was describing topics for this cast, the, the, the importance of pruning sentences that you're sure are, are wonderful and very clever and wordsmithy until you come back and look at them later 
and discover that sentence modifiers and superlatives have seeped in to turn a, a pretty good descriptive sentence into a paragraph. And it's something that uh, that all writers need to guard against. I do. I, I have to watch myself because I'm so uh, pleased with my ability to weave a, a scene just exactly what Ray's just said that I go off the deep end. And it has to be very carefully controlled or it turns into a a, a run-on sentence and it, it runs the risk of doing so. Yeah, I have a 500-comma sentence. Yep, and I have this, I'm opening a chapter, and this is what Ray was just talking about, really hits me, because I'm, I'm getting ready to open a chapter. I have a scene that's going to be uh, uh, largely driven by dialogue. Something dreadful has happened, and, and one of my characters, it needs to be woken up from a deep sleep in the middle of the night to be given the bad news. And before I get to her assistant beating on the door, yelling for her to wake up, and I think this is precisely what Ray's talking about. There is an environmental surroundings description that has absolutely nothing whatever to do with what they're going to talk about. But what I did is take a paragraph to describe uh, this person is sleeping and uh, the city that she lives in slept quietly in the calm after a jagged squall lines rain marched through from the West, scouring away two weeks of haze created by thousands uh, descending on the capital at the height of the tourist season. It was colder than usual, but she dozed with her bedroom windows open simply because she could. So now I've got, I've established, you know, it's night, you know, she's snoozing. I get an environmental angle in there to just put you in that place with her. It's only a brief paragraph, but instead of just having the door getting pounded on, you know, She's in a city. You know that it rained earlier in the day. You know things about this place that you wouldn't have. And in, in spite of yourself, you are in that spot with her. You can see things without even concentrating on it that that little descriptor would help you get. And now we can go on to beating on the door and somebody's right. going to kick her in the ass and tell her the world just ended. So there you go. And I like to refer to that as, as coloring in the scene. That's what I tend to call it. Yeah. Um, just like yeah. a coloring book. You know, it adds that extra dimension to it and kind of brings it a little more to life. Yeah, we were I describing a question. it as somebody with taking a sketch. They sketch out the outline. This is what the story is. And then they start adding in all the little colors. There's the hair, you know. And each of this represents a different part of the book. You know, whether it's the beginning, the middle, the end one scene, one paragraph. It's all just the little details that you have to work in later. Right. Yeah. Go ahead, Ray. You had a question? Yeah. So, um, like that kind of in-depth descriptive writing kind of makes a difference, like maybe between like a real serious piece of like literature and like a pulp sort of. Well, no, I, fiction I think sort of deal or what? Like, well, uh, it's, because it's some people just... really do that and some people don't. Well, I, I mean, that's true. It depends on, and it honestly depends on the scene, depends on the type of writer you are, depends on how comfortable you are with it. I mean, there are some scenes that require you to keep it short because it's an action scene and it's paced and you don't want to over-describe because then you lose that pacing of the story. You know, he stalked into the room, you know, he, he slapped his hand behind his back and skun, skinned the knife that hung there. You know, the, the ebony blade glint in the moonlight. 
as uh, the as you know ninjas begin to surround him. They step to the left and they step to the right. He stood there. He spread his legs, you know, shoulder width apart, testing the. T testing the balls of his feet for his balance. I mean, these are things you need to do, and it just depends on how you're describing that scene. Now, at that point, you don't want to get into these heavy descriptors because you have an action scene. It's about the pacing. Um, mm -hmm. There could be other scenes that are that are simple, but that change the way that describes. Uh, I'll give you an example. And th the ship came out of slip space, turned to the left, and started heading towards Earth. That's a great sense. It tells you exactly what you need to know. You know, a, a, a crimson tear broke open in the reality of time space and the ebony ship came slipping out. Blue lights flashed as the ship came alive, growling like a predator as it began to stalk towards a little blue planet. Same exact sentence, but I've added a little emotional weight to it. Something to give it a description that you can kind of say, now it's a predator. You know, mm. and this is this is how... The difference between the two is both work, but one adds more weight to that particular scene. So there's gotcha. a, there's an analogy, uh, Ray Burr, that might apply. People ask the difference. A writer is a writer. I've heard people say this. Just because you wrote a book doesn't make you any different than any other writer. Well, functionally, no. Right. But they ask about the difference writing fiction as opposed to nonfiction. And it's, it, it makes me laugh because I think they're you're talking two sides of a very thick coin and they're very far apart. <laughs> An analogy is the difference between someone who writes a fiction novel. There's a way we have to do this to tell a story and we have lots of license to do it. Page count is not as, is fantastic. A journalist who has a column word count limit has to approach what they say and how they say it completely different they're driven by the need requirement for brevity and so the things that we do to fill in to color a scene are absolutely unwanted in a in a news world and they're desperately needed in a fiction world the joining element would be literary uh, um i don't know what is the term literary fiction i guess or um Oh, what am I thinking of? It's the process of telling us a, a real story, a news story in particular. And you find these in city magazines, the New Yorker, New, uh, New York Times magazine. I, I know what you're talking about. I don't know what it's called, but I know it. <clears throat> and it's, yeah, uh, but it's like Frankenstein versus a short story in one of the Penny Dreadfuls kind of thing. It, it, it kind of is. Yeah. And it's that it, mm. it, it, the, the requirement for how much you put into this aside from everybody's individual voice, which we all have, is is typically dictated by the genre by, uh, for example, he's the Ray's describing action in those scenes, and he's right. He can't waste, uh, you don't get flowery when you're doing that. You don't, my, my piece was a setup. I want to put you in that place very briefly, so I've painted a picture in your mind's eye, and now we can go on to what is going on. The dialogue takes over. That is where I think the nuance in what I was talking about earlier comes in, particularly in dialogue. Dialogue can drone if you don't break it up with things that the reader needs to know about thoughts, about not the environment necessarily, but things that color the way people talk. 
some books, which authors will give it an italicized treatment, which is a thought hovering above that's going through their mind that they would never say in the conversation, but the right. reader gets to go along with them. That's a very effective way to do that. And I use that often. One of the games I play is when I'm writing scenes like that, especially dialogue, is try not to use he said, she said. Um, I always get in that rut of he said and then she said. So it's Okay, well, how do I do this? Well, he barked, he nudged, he urged, yeah. he exclaimed. You know, Correct. you try to yeah, you try to limit that. Yeah, you try to limit the he said, she said. Oh yeah, that's that's one of those. Every time I do a dialogue, I have to stop. Okay, how are they saying it? Yeah, <laughs> my, my my first draft is rife with he said, she said, and then he said, and then she said, and it then gets, they went. Yeah, it gets difficult, <laughs> but also the, to fine tune that. What the way that the, uh, avoiding said is the goal here, but the context and the moment will will nudge you toward a, a, a better descriptor. If the if the person speaking in the dialogue is telling you something that you need to know, if it's informative, then in, then we take out the dreaded said, and I like to put explained or described or recalled or noted. It's right. There, it's it's subtle, but it does polish, and it makes a difference between a book that sounds as though uh, it's it, it is it does have an arty piece or a feel to it. It has a a more refined and polished writer's touch than simply saying so and so said. And that, then you could you could get fancy with that, you know. And, and he whispered sotto voce, you know. I mean that that there you go. That lets you kind of get you know you kind of bring a little art into it. Vocabulary mastery is a pretty good skill in what we do, but it doesn't One mean. One would think, you know, it's. <laughs> it, it, I have seen some some impressive, well received books that I, I look at the way these things are described, and I'm thinking, wow, how did you get this level of popularity when you drone like that, author? Boy? Yeah, and I've, I've know, seen people who do that too. It's kind of like, wow, that's got really bad plot holes yeah. and. Uh, and uh, you know, almost painful. Yeah, we're not supposed to cast aspersions toward our fellow authors. I get it. Why? By yeah. the same token, bullshit. You there? There. You can see some amazing polish in uh, Raber pulp stuff. I, right. I, I, I just am. I'm astonished at how well some of the some of these ridiculous swashbuckler romances, you know, we know the Conan, the, the stereotype, but exactly. Dude, Conan was awesome. I don't care what name. And says. they, and they are, they're telling a story effectively, but the way they do it is artful. And I'm, and, that, and so there are so many dichotomies that you, you run into. How come this dime store novel is written so beautifully when, when, you know, uh, Moron writing about seagulls. I wanted to die, <laughs> but I but that thought, comes. Yeah, you know, that, that comes. How back, in the world polish. did you get that kind of polish? Because were you talking with Jonathan ridiculous. Lewis and Seagull? Exactly. Oh my God! Okay. But that this made, is the thing, you know. I, mean, I wanted place. to take my own life reading that book, and that's why I, I literally <laughs> threw me. it in a, in a dumpster. I thought you have oh, no yeah. business being printed, and I threw it away. I, I don't <laughs> even <laughs> remember what the title of it was, but I was like three <laughs> yeah. pages in, and I had already had to reread those pages like four times because it made no fucking sense. Well, there are classics <laughs> the same way. Like reading Tolstoy is next to impossible because. Right. He just drones. 
and, and you, it's, yeah. Yeah, but this is part of that whole polishing that some people just don't do to their books or don't feel comfortable doing. It's it's not just how you describe a scene, but it's your pacing, you know. Action so, scenes are different than, than dialogue scenes are different. Yeah. Consistency, consistency. It's you know not, what? I, I, I think ahead. that, like, because you know how everything now is so high level? I think we mentioned this before. Like, you get a kid, he goes into hockey, he starts when he's, like, four, and he gets coached for, like, 12 years and then goes into the NHL. It's just like, I think that back then there were only a certain amount of people that had access to getting books out. And I think now that, I think now we look back at those books and we're kind of like, hmm, because so many people are doing it right now. Like, there's yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, you know. that's an I, excellent point. Self-publishing alone has blown away that paradigm. That's true. It, it, right. it, could, it could very well be. And there's also a difference in the styles. Because if you look at stuff from the early 1800s and then you look at stuff from the 1870s, for example, the writing styles, the way they describe things, the way they handle certain social interactions are completely fucking different. So the they, time yeah. does determine the style of the writing to an extent. That's what I was – you know, thank you for saying that because I, I thought to myself, what about uh, – a Young adult genre gets it's celebrated and it's pilloried and it's beaten on, but it's uh, it constitutes uh, the bulk of what authors under forty write these days. It's not a right. lot of it, it. Just is the, there. There is a, a perception that YA is the place to be. Uh, some people get pissed off and say, "No, it's rubbish." And why are you wasting your time with it? It's so poorly written and it's written for thumb suckers and skirt pullers who are already so intellectually stunted, they're never going to know what you're saying anyway. Young adult is between 13 to 18. That's where kids, that's where you can influence them the most. I uh, know, no, but here's, that's, that's your version of young adult. That's my version of young adult. The literary world has a completely different view of this, you're and they right. consider young adult 25 years old. It has changed, and it means exactly what we'll you see. said, Jr. The time that, and, and where you're at, your social right. construct has an enormous influence. Well, see, now they've added a category called new adult, new adult that's supposed to yeah, be the 18 to 25 crowd. But, I mean, this is... I'd be it, into it really the nude adult one. The nude adult, <laughs> there you go. New adult, oh, boy, new right. adult. <laughs> just but, I mean, just this in case is, my accent came yeah, out, buddy. <laughs> this is kind of... This is kind of where we get just categories, and I mean, there's a lot of subcategories and subcategories because, as you saw on Twitter with uh, one of our conversations we had, people claim bestseller a bit misguided depending on where they're at. Because if you write a book um, and you're in the you know science fiction, uh, paraplegic alien abduction who are blue with purple dots, and I'm number one in that category because there are two books owned. You know? Right. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. this is dominated. Yeah, and that's kind oh, of yeah. the whole scenario with that. So I tend to, when it comes to categories, I just kind of tend to write the book and then go back and go, where does it fit? You know, I don't, I don't necessarily yeah. choose it ahead of time. That's interesting. <laughs> um, my space operas are, are now, they're not called sci-fi. It is called classic sci-fi. Yeah, it, uh, it doesn't qualify oh, as right, a classic, right. and it, and I thought, okay, how what how many different subcategories can you have? Science fiction, science fiction, right? No, right. no it's not. not and if, and you don't have to go any farther than the last ten years 
worth of Nebula and Hugo Awards in science fiction, have a look at those winners and tell me how they have anything to do with science fiction. They're not. They're fantasy books. Right, exactly. But fantasy has taken over sci-fi. And so what used but to be sci-fi... sci-fi are fucking different. Yes, they are, but they're. But the point I'm making is this: that there wasn't a Nebula or a Hugo for fantasy, and fantasy overrode, at some point, what they now call classic sci-fi. That's the that's the rubbish I write, and it's the it's very much like the rubbish I read for thirty or forty years. Science fiction was science fiction, even going further right. back. But I mean, nowadays, I, it has been well. Science fiction was anything for a long time because. For a while, there wasn't exactly fantasy. Fantasy was considered, no. you know, middle, middle medieval stuff. That's when you did dragons and stuff. That was what fantasy right. was. That was high fantasy. Yes, and but fantasy has evolved. But they, 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 they sci-fi really hasn't a lot because there's only okay, yeah. There's a lot you can do with sci-fi, but we are so limited in what we know about space that our imaginations are kind of stifled to a degree. If we knew yes. more, our imaginations would go more places, but we don't. So we're limited. It's like, you know, the 1800s writing about, uh, you know, people on Mars was a big thing because they couldn't imagine, you know, anything beyond Mars. No, that's true. But, but they also, the people who consume science fiction don't want to hear that our imaginations are limited. They are looking to science fiction writers to take them places. Their imagination and their current understanding of science's limitations can't. Exactly. That is, that's a hard responsibility, to be honest. But they, they, it frees you up. I mean, it says you can, if you can pull this out of your ass and keep it relatively plausible, you, there is a market for it, and there is. But fantasy is where you, you can go, anything is possible. Right, all and, bets are off. that's where people seem to, and okay, I have some sci-tech in my fantasy book that is on the back burner that it's going to be a big deal. Um, it, but it's not science fiction. It's fantasy with a little sci-fi in it. So it's not going anywhere near sci-fi because that's not what it is. But people confuse that. They will say, well, no, that's a fantasy sci-fi book. Well, no, it's not. Because sci-fi is specifically related to science, not fantastical elements. It's, a, it's astonishing how the industry, fantastic. it blends the two together. And I saw that I submit these books for award ceremonies, for example, my hippies, and I send it in. And it's the category is science fiction, but it's a subcategory to the overall sci-fi slash fantasy genre. And I thought, wait a minute, you're saying apple slash orange here. How do you do that? Right. And, and it's, <laughs> yeah. anyway. But it's I think true. it has I mean, more to is... do with the fact that they're not modern reality. They are not our reality. So they are altered reality. And so they oh. have to categorize that in their own. And it, it should really um, be called altered reality or future or something, you know, because. Well, I mean, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of Worthing Saga, uh, Orson Scott Card, not necessarily based on our reality, but still considered classic science fiction. You know, I mean, it, it's it's more fantasy if you read the book, but it is grounded in science fiction because it is a novel regarding space travel. Yes. So, yeah, you know, the Ansible isn't going to show up in a fantasy. Exactly, exactly. You know, 
you know, ta- yeah, the, the ta- on communication isn't going to. Okay, show up so so now something that Ray Burr was talking about a lot. We I think we hit on this in one of our pods, but where in the world in this? In I, I don't know. I'm asking not rhetorically. I, right. I'm fascinated by the the um, goth steampunk. Uh, popularity i don't is it still a thing or is it dying because i'm not sure where to place that steampunk has always had a niche it's always been a specialized niche i don't think it's dying there is still a lot of very yeah it's It's a specialized niche it's a specialized one and it's going to be stay that way it's always been this little kind of like um subculture and it's Probably yeah. going to remain one of those little subcultures. Right. It's funny because yeah, just just for thing, us little anarchist freaks. That's all. It, it <laughs> makes me it it makes me scratch my head because I look at it and some of that stuff is very appealing to me visually. Oh, Steve, some of I mean, it just from an engineer standpoint, it's kind of cool, like steam yeah. driven Victorian well, typewriters. You know, so, I right. consider steampunk. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, I, I think yeah. it's cool. I, I do consider steampunk to be kind of sci-fi. I consider it to be a subgenre of sci-fi. Because yeah. what they're dealing with is a type of science, and the is whole it, world yes. is based on a type of science. That's true. No, you, that, that's hmm. it's rooted in that. You're right. In, in, therefore, in your, it is science fiction. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. I don't think it was ever. I'm not saying it was shading into the <laughs> fantasy world. I'm saying it well, is. No, I it know, sounds like it's another adjunct to. I yet. don't know. You can have a cool steampunk dragon and make it fantasy. Dude, I have seen one of those. It was hogs and wheels and and yeah. what looked like uh, uh, parachute wings and shit. Yeah, it's like, like you know everybody <laughs> went Rube Goldberg in that entire universe, and it's just great. I mean, seriously. Well, what if you said that science was the the art of making something happen by a set of rules? Then whatever well, you could have boxing science. Then it would the be science, science of fiction. fiction. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's exactly what most sci-fi is. It's, it's a grounded set of scientific rules used to create something extraordinary, you know, yeah. and to push the envelope of our current technology to see where you can go and what limit you can push. The only what difference old is science? steampunk is in the reverse sense. You're taking that set of rules and applying it to something that didn't happen. It's almost like an alternative world. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, it, that's it, it's it's things that are recognizable, mm-hmm. but a steam powered Zeppelin that, you know, that lowers people into the ocean <laughs> to measure the, you know, the ass width of a whale or whatever the hell they do. They're, oh, yeah. They have, you it, know, it, it, but it's crazy. It I is think crazy. it's crazy it's, cool. It's, it's so it, but it does start to get to the fantastical, not fantasy, but just you got to be shitting me. You you dreamt up a steam-powered flying sailing ship Zeppelin combination with a car. Oh, yeah. Right? Right? So, it's cool, but... You, yeah, it, it, it is. Not, I don't know One of those old hand-crank phones in the dash, you know? I mean, cool things like it, that. I think it's kind of like, kind of at the bottom borderline of science fiction down at the borderline just on the very outside edge of where fantasy connects it's not futuristic not it's alternative quite, oh, it's regressive fantasy, if anything exactly because you're looking at a victorian time period basically. but it's almost fantasy but not quite so hence the term punk because it's a fringe element the way punk yes. was when it came out musically right. exactly okay now let me and cyberpunk 
Kind and of like cyberpunk, correct. Sex pistols with steam. So all of this would be a lot easier if we just, got, you know, just dispensed with the nonsense and just start writing erotica and take the money and go. There Speaking you go. of which, so here's, here's a question. I, I, wanted, I wanted to pose this to all of you. So we know that J.R. is more of a fantasy writer than anything else. I live in a sci-fi world. So does Ray Bay. Ray Burr is a weird redheaded bastard Canadian stepchild who hasn't found his place yet. Right. He knows, he knows, Don't you know about Wait, but he's on his way. He, he knows. He knows in his brain <laughs> what his books are going to be. It, I I want to see them. I'm and I know he will. But we all find a little comfort place. This is the genre that we most operate out of. Yes. He's so Raber is a you know he's a, he's a bullet stopper, muscle man, he guy, a fitness guy. That's not fiction. But he has a he has a direction that he's going to go in that is. Yes, fiction, but doesn't have to be the weird, stupid shit that we dream up or Jr. dreams up. Here's my question, <laughs> however, and it's probably in 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 the back of of Raber's mind. I don't know whether it lives there yet, but I assure you, it will. It, come to it. Would you consider going out of your comfort zone genre? I ask because I just did that for my book coming out and I'm in a doing month. It, yeah. And Ray Burr's doing, or, I mean, Ray Bay's doing it now. So, Jr., would if you came out of that genre, where would you go? What would be your comfort zone? Same thing to Ray Burr. Oh, honey, I can write just about anything. I I, I, mean, I like fantasy, but I would definitely go horror easy. I can do horror like nobody's business. Dude, so that I love doing horror too. Oh, horror! Oops. Sorry. <laughs> Horror. 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 I thought we were whoring for a second because I was all about to go on that route. <laughs> See, that's why I, know, I was like, I could do crime okay. thrillers, right? probably. I could do suspense. Don't ask me to do drama comedy. Fuck that. No, that's a, I know that's best done by television. I, I'm... Um, this this was disturbing. It was weird to me, and I and I don't know how I, I got here. I, I got in so far I couldn't stop, and I had gone too far. I had invested too much, and so I had to continue. It's written in first person. It's more of a romance, fantasy, or, or paranormal story. And I thought at the end of this, what planet are you on? Why? What could have possibly in, it's taken you down this? absolutely removed from science fiction path. And I got to the end of it and I thought, man, I am taking a hell of a risk here. I don't know what I'm doing in this genre. And that's why I'm asking the question. Would it give you the willy? So obviously it doesn't. JR's ready to write in multi-genre. I was absolutely not ready for that. What about Ray Bay? Right. Or Burr? Ray Burr? Yeah, so I'm asking Um, the race. Yeah, cool. So... I worked for a long time trying to figure some area that I could apply some sort of military knowledge <laughs> to do fiction because I was doing fitness for a long time. And uh, it, it took a long time to try to fit in there. And eventually, like we were talking, I ended up on that cyberpunk sort of deal more so. Um, just jumping around, switching genres. I don't think I could do it except for one more, uh, which I've already started to do. And that's um, fictionalizing sort of a coaching scenario. So, like, let's just say some dude wants to know how to do the handstands. He go visits some gymnast or whatever in the woods, and they 
you know, that whole process unfolds. But again, it's got to be something that I know because I can't spend another four years trying to figure out how to write a genre that I just, I don't live in. Well, you could easily do military action. I mean, there are a lot, Clive Cussler, geez. Holy smokes, there you go. Yeah, you can do anything with military information. You, know, you can, and there we come if you look at Clive that. Cussler, he's got that NUMA series. It is is a guy with a lot of specialties, and he's really good at working in the ocean. That's what he loves, so that's what he does. Mm. And there is all kind of military shit involved in that. You could literally do anything with that. And that explains well, those three guys who were like, they, he reminds me of a young Clive Custler when they were reading my books. And I was like, what? Nice. Yeah, right? And I was like, what? You know what I found to be actually quite easy, which was where I initially started, was looking up old, uh, real, like, Korean battles and Vietnam battles and stuff like that, and then just personalizing it. Well, it's Following. always good to base it off of history, like um, yeah, the 300 yeah. or, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, rear, a, a rear retreat uh, scenario. You know, doing that gives you something to ground it in. Totally. Well, it's and like there a are so plot. many old battles. You could set up an entire world based around one event in history, like, for example, the it's Mongols. Right. You could write an entire fictionalized account of a few major cities that were destroyed by these horrible warriors that came and wiped everybody out. Well, I mean, and that's, create a group yeah. that's going to fight against them or something. You know, well, I mean, I do that a lot. Actually, my 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 entire bad guys were were modeled off of the East India Company. I mean, and their tactics and scenarios. So you can do that very successfully and have a ground set of rules or a plot that's are literally happened in real life, you know? And so how do you, what do you do when you're, so here's my point. If you carry your voice and you don't have any choice, you're going to, you, you yes. write the way you do. You are in, it's called the racing line in formula one. It's, yes. it develops all by itself and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. If you fight it and try to think you're writing like somebody else, you've already failed. You have a voice, and when you find it, you're, you're there, and that just accept it and get used to it. Polish it all you want, but don't fight it. So if in, in JR's, ex- for example, if she wanted, to, she wanted to write some scary, the kind of book I hate because I, I, I scare easily. I don't want to see horror. And so don't ask me why I read Lovecraft until I couldn't was cross-eyed. But maybe that's why I hate it now, because he scared the shit out of me. So oh, she takes her Lovecraft, voice. She takes her voice with her. And if someone reading one of her prior books like saw her new, for example. So you would see and you would see her voice. You'd hear it right away. It is a completely different genre. But now that I'm, I'm, I'm taking this full circle, what it comes back to is that an author, a writer is a writer, is a writer different from news guy. Yes. But if you're, if you shift genre to genre and it works, that's what, that's what separates real writers from people who want to be writers. They might get there someday, but someone who's just starting out in this and it's struggling because they're saying, they hear a lot about this. What it were, you'll find your voice, find your voice. Well, how the hell do you do that? You do that by writing your ass off, and it comes out in time. It's a crucible. How you determine what your voice is, is it's a, it's a process. How you validate it or how you put a stamp on it and say, yeah, by God, I do have a voice, 
Switch genres once. That'll tell you what your voice is. Yes, yeah, see, is I don't know true. if my voice would sound the same in a horror book as it does a romance or an action book. I get excited every time she says horror. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, it's like he, okay. needs, he needs meds. He needs. Yeah, meds. I know. Well, yeah, I need he more needs meds. Late. There you Thanks. go. Maybe a few Thanks. less. <laughs> Sorry, I, I probably the fever lots. talking. That's what it is. It's the fever talking. <laughs> I'm nowhere near this retarded most days. <laughs> most days. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. No, because um, it's, for example, I have got a serial killer story lined up. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Of course I just always does. think about a guy. Like in the basket. She does. No, I just, I always see this guy like, Dropping a hammer on a box of Cheerios. I know, right? Says, yeah. killer. <laughs> Dude, no. I own that Calchoncula. Sorry. I studied serial killers extensively, so I I know that the majority of female serial killers are non-existent, and the ones that do get caught are generally poisoners, or they kill with other people. I don't know. Aileen Warnos didn't use poison. She she was one of the rare few that was directly violent. This is true. And I, but she was violent in less so ways than most of the male serial killers. Because male serial killers, they won't just shoot you and leave you there. They will shoot you. And then they will cut you up, and then they will drop your body parts all over the fucking country. Well, wait. In the first place, most serial killers don't shoot at all. They strangle. And, well, strangle or stab. Far stab and away. Very, the, very common. Oh, which is weird because they're so. it's such a personal way to kill someone. Well, stabbing and but, strangling are the most they, personal ways to do but, it because you have to be up close. Ritual serial murder is just... Is, it's as creepy and the trolling phase and the trophies and the man. You know, and now, so now Reaper's got me doing it. I got this them, picture of a I, guy over a bowl of rice crispy with a spoon he's putting in the exact location. <laughs> I have my ritual, you know. I mean, you are, you are welcome. Because I know all this it's stuff, I can create the perfect serial killer that matches none of the standards. She's a female serial <laughs> killer. She's incredibly violent. She goes way out. Eileen Warnos looks like a fucking poster child for sweet 16 parties compared to this girl. Right, she will cut them up. They will, she will mutilate them. She will destroy them and leave their bodies out for people to see displayed in a humiliating way because she wants to debase her victims. And this is why she's going to get away with it. Because women don't kill that way. Yep, no one's looking for a woman when they see that crime scene. Of course. Women not. don't kill that way, and that's why this story is perfect. She will be the woman of everyone's nightmares. But she's going to be so someone I that people empathize <laughs> with because her, her prey are pedophiles and rapists. Okay. So there's this whole kind of... Wouldn't that be a clue, though? She I feels mean, just yeah. well. I would how think many, holy moly, how maybe many I got the girl here. No, no, think about it. Most of your serial killers that are violent have also been abused, a lot of them sexually. Yeah, true enough. Most but, but he, even, Henry Lee Lucas killed 120 people. He was he, he couldn't have had a worse childhood. 
This is true. Well, he was I've not heard of a enough. couple that were slightly worse, but his was really, really bad. Yeah, really. His his mom was a piece of work. <laughs> <sighs> Hit him with a with a two by four, <laughs> addled his brain, and oh yeah, she was not the nicest lady. So you're, the, but the point you're making is is that in or out of genre, are you? But I'm see, my voice see is that of a complete predator. Someone who sees them as insects meant to be destroyed, who have no value. And that is how she thinks. And this is the voice on that, is that these people are worth nothing. They have no value and they do not deserve to breathe. Which is different different from going to someone who has been traumatized but still loves and cares about other people. She's angry. Which is what I have in my romances. This woman is pure rage. Okay, so that's not the and and that's an interesting distinction because the 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 element that is missing in most ritual serial murderers is a capacity for empathy. They can't feel empathic emotions. It's void for them. So this woman is her fuel is emotions. Yeah, to a personal level and has turned the victimizers into her victims and that she is, is victimized victimizing the victimizers that is a different setup but i, I agree so okay agree. so here's something I, I um i've wondered about this and in ray burr's position makes me wonder about this if you have a war time setting someplace you're in your comfort zone ray from your experiences <laughs> in the balkans right what? Balkans? Uh, Not me. What am I thinking of? Bosnia. Bosnia? Bosnia? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Balkans will be a vacation. Isn't that yeah. real? No, we talked Balkans? about that, though. Yeah, but no, he went know. to the... He I'm was not in Bosnia. I'm geographically inclined. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so... Um, that whole... Former... Remember the ethnic cleansing bullshit that happened yeah, 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 there yeah, a while perfectly. back? I know. What I'm saying is... So his experiences in Bosnia... Is a war setting. Uh, and soldiers that is a vile war setting. Yeah, that's really bad. Um, but what if he takes it one step off the beaten path? What better place for a serial killer to work? Oh, yeah, there's been a lot of that, actually. I've studied serial killers that work during wartime. And there have been several. They don't know who they are. Most of them have been unidentified. Uh, it's a playground. That's, that but it is a serial killer's heaven, yep. and they can. It's do even like endorsed. Like I mean, well, I shouldn't say endorsed, but well, like taking trophies and stuff is like Bosnia. whatever. Because right. it's okay. not just necessarily killing people; they okay, take wait their a minute, humanity wait a minute. away. Let, let me back up just for a second, because uh, none of you fools should have gone anywhere near challenging me on geography. Bosnia, <laughs> Balkans, that's a region. There, move on. Good to know. Aren't <laughs> there, map nerd? Yeah, I was like, aren't they a mountain or something? <laughs> <laughs> All I so know genre is and dirt. voice, though. Genre and voice. That's, a, that's something that I want to test. I want to see where that goes. It would be really interesting to see if any of you fools go outside of genre because it's... I don't know. I, I stumbled outside of it. Would you guys do it deliberately and on purpose? Because I did not. Well, I mean, I kind of, I kind of grounded mine in sci-fi, but went fantasy. And it's a little bit different. So 
there was some stumbling there. I mean, there's some definite outside of my comfort zone. Um, and I think my voice changed a couple of times and that probably stumbled me. So I think my second run through is going to kind of bring that back to my voice again. I have a very particular way that everybody has a particular way they write a book. And when you kind of go outside your, your comfort zone, you may shift a little and that sometimes causes problems. I think I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think I'm still in the, in the place with my writing where I am just like anything else, like working out or, or learning any craft. I am establishing my steps and what I, and how I want to do this to the point where I can do it on automatic pilot and, you know, let that muse or whatever take over. So at this point now, I, I want to write and I'm only going to write that which comes easily to me confined within the parameters, you know, dictated yeah. by the art. Yep. Well, so and see, was a, there's a well, difference between us two as far as comfort zones. Y'all have been writing for a lot less time in significant amounts than I have. I have had 40 years to play with my writing style, with what genres I can write in, with the type of things I can do, with the type of scenes I know how to portray. I've had years and years to practice this shit before I ever let anybody look at it. And y'all are starting out at a different place than I did. So that's why I have a broader range because I've had more time to do this. In time, you can build up a broader range if you choose to. Comfort zone is, you know, I've already got, you know, the three books out and they're released. I've already gone through well within my comfort zone, well within my voice. This was kind of stretching it going. I wanted a new series, a new path, something new that was different than what I had done and something where I could push that envelope of my creativity, which is why I chose to do it, you know, because I can I can do the, the type of books I, I have just been doing because I did them. I mean, I can literally bat, run them out because I got the plot in my head. I got the character set. The the architecture of the the world is all there. It's it's just okay. Now I'm just adding another story to this world. Whereas I am creating something completely new from scratch again, and it's it's a challenge, which is good because sometimes you want to challenge yourself because it makes you a better writer. I just See, wanted to tell a story about a groovy chick. That's the only reason why I went out of genre. I'm a I'm just a piece of shit, let's face it. Well, see, that's why I've been writing romances online for the last couple of years is because that's a genre I'm not comfortable in. I, I just wanted it, to use Holocaust I write it well enough for people to like it, but I don't right. like to write it. I'm not comfortable Jerry, in it. you bring up I an interesting point. I don't I, like I, emotions. I think, didn't you mention something about, like, uh, Writing on a different sort of uh, what do you? I don't know if uh, Wattpad or ink. Yes, so that's, that's what I was talking about. But thought maybe that might be something we should address at some point. Whether getting your work out there on say either Wattpad or Medium or like Reddit or what? Yeah, that kind of thing. At some point, if that's just, I don't know. You know, well, what about see, it? That's one of the things you see a lot of people. Well, what if I write and nobody likes it? We'll test it out. Now, Wattpad is okay. There's a lot of people on it. But if you're worried about your work getting stolen, you should probably put it on Inkit because they have the website protected to where you can't just steal somebody's written work, which is why a lot of authors on Wattpad have started to put up only samples and then they've been migrating over to Inkit at least the last couple of years. Um, 
but you can put it up there. You can be anonymous. You can put whatever fucking name you want up there. You can put whatever picture you want up there and you can put it up there and let it sit and let people read it. And don't think that they're going to, everybody's going to read it tomorrow and that you're going to have a hundred comments tomorrow, but you put it up and you leave it up there and you add a little bit to it here and there, you know, however often is necessary and then maybe a year or two, you'll have enough feedback to get an idea of, well, I need to do this. I need to do that. This isn't right. This is wrong. This part is good. And then you'll know. This is true. I mean, we've actually covered quite a bit on this episode, but I think we can kind of start wrapping it up here. Um, actually, good, good show. We covered not just polishing, but a lot of other interesting topics like you know paradigm you're shifting your genre going outside your comfort zone um good job i had i had a great time and i actually learned a bunch of stuff that i didn't even know and that's awesome good show today i agree anybody have anything else we missed coverage wise i think we did great everybody needs to make sure to check the suggestion box we had to put a new form up because the other one was stupid and it wanted us to pay to get access to the people that had access to the forms that have been submitted. Yes, he so, All right. I went and changed it immediately Ooh. as soon as I found that out. And now there's one up and we can see everybody's comments. Sweet. And they will also get emailed to Ray. So his lovely email box will be full of more fun bullshit. Yeah, because I already <laughs> get 50,000 emails a day. That's just awesome. All right. But yeah, no, good show. <laughs> Thank you for joining us at Author in Chains. This is Ray Bailey with J.R. Ryu, Rob Davies, and Ray Burton. Until next time. Keep up to date with the latest news, opinions, tutorials, and more. Simply visit www.authorsandchains.com. Sign up for our mailing list to be one of the first to see any new information we post. Also, check out our Facebook page by searching Authors in Chains from the Facebook search bar. Last, but definitely not least, don't forget to check Twitter under hashtag Authors in Chains. If you have a topic you want to see discussed, or are interested in being on the show, or recommending someone who you think we should get on the show, contact us directly, either by going to the contact page on the website, or simply email shout at authorsandchains.com. We'll see you next week.